and welcome to Centero Speaks, a podcast featuring Centero staff members who share their insight about Centero values, programs, and services, and their impact on the surrounding community and work environment. I'm your host, Mariah Beidelman, and today I'll be speaking with Michael Eblen, Centero's LGBTQ program coordinator and outpatient clinician. Michael, please tell me a little bit about what you do at Centero. Yeah, sure. My name is Michael Eblen. I am an outpatient therapist here. I actually use um, they, them, their pronouns as well. Um, and in addition to being an outpatient therapist, um, I'm the LGBT program coordinator. So I um, help kind of develop all the things that we're doing around like, the LGBT community. Um, and kind of interesting to know um, that our, it was, I think around seven or eight years ago, our CEO it was actually her idea to establish this role. Um, just I think out of seeing that there was some specialized needs that the LGBT community was coming with and that therapists had more questions and um, that there were also sometimes even um, higher, like more highly represented in the um, disproportionately in our populations that we see. So um, yeah, that's sort of what I do there. So can you tell me a little bit about Sincero's LGBTQ program, the services offered and how many people you serve in the age groups? Yeah, so we do a few different things. So we are like part of my job is just making sure that the general agency is able to provide services for LGBT folks, as well as like that there are folks here that specialize in um, particular populations or somebody's wanting to work, for instance, like to discover their sexuality or to explore their gender that somebody might be a little bit more savvy with that they could be placed with. But we also have some specialized groups, mostly is what we do, as well as some outreach to the community. So our kind of our pride and joy is groups that one is called Celebrate Us, which is for parents of LGBT people. So support group for parents. And then at the same time, a support group for kids ages 12 to 18, as long as they're in high school. That needs as well. So they kind of, they don't have, you don't have to have like a kid and a parent that's paired in each group. But if a, a parent and a kid was wanting to go to a group, they kind of have separate places and spaces to um, kind of get their needs supported. And we actually just recently added a group that was meant to um, support younger people that are exploring gender specifically called uh, Celebrate Youth. So Celebrate You, Celebrate Us, and Celebrate Youth is kind of our. Um, our branded groups that um, are trying to serve like as much of central Ohio and other, like everywhere we serve. Um, so those groups are open and we're always looking to, to add um, more groups as the need develops in the community. Statistics reveal that LGBTQ individuals are more likely to experience a mental illness, such as depression or anxiety. What factors may lead to this? You um, have higher rates of family discordance around their identity. And so at least might have some perceived lack of support around their identity. If they don't experience outright rejection, it's pretty rare that an LGBT person would have parents that are also LGBT. So it, unlike a lot of other cultures or minority identities, you don't really have your parents to help you sort through it or to help you kind of conceptualize let alone like just be open with sometimes not not sharing that identity means that there's like a coming out process and and kind of holding that in and and sorting that out on your own can be really turbulent but i also think a lot um, there's a lot of studies that bear this out as well that there's lgbtq people do experience much more like harassment and bullying um, especially when they're in schools 
So I think there's a lot of social reasons that tends to be the case. Um, and there's, you know, kind of studies that show, for instance, when let's take, for instance, trans kids, when a transgender kid is supported by his parents, that child is actually a little better off than the general population uh, in terms of suicide risk, mental health outcomes. But when it comes to a parent that is unsupportive of their transgender child, they're up to nine times more likely to attempt or think about suicide. So, so I think that kind of, for me, not to, to sort of, to, this is a little bit of a, a jump there, but it does seem like that leads us to say like, well, there is, you know, the kind of support that you're getting around your identity might really be the, the deciding factor there. So that seems like the biggest two reasons. So what are some of the ways allies and family members can support members of the LGBTQ community? Yeah. Well, I think there's like a lot of little adjustments that people can make. Like, um, for instance, I think it's more uncommon these days, but some parents are kind of, instead of asking like, oh, is there a boy at school that you like? Or is there a girl you like at school? People are saying, is there anybody at school that you like? So like, kind of like trying to make things a little more neutral and inclusive, like little ways in which maybe to try to not assume. But also things like, um, I know that in Sentero, we've encouraged people and nearly everyone has added their pronouns to their email signature, or you can even get like buttons and stuff that, that indicates to somebody, maybe somebody in your life that you don't even know is LGBTQ, that you're a safe person. And if there are people in your life that you know are LGBT, that you can kind of ask them about it and, and just be curious about, especially the parts of their experience that is important to them. Like you might have some very specific questions of your own and that might be better um, sorted out like if in internet research and asking maybe somebody that's professionally an educator but if wanting to ask somebody in your life like and asking them like how they deal with certain things or what comes up for them i think is a real sign of you trying to get inside of their experience and really appreciating it and there's also some more kind of direct action stuff like getting involved in organizing and fundraising there's often little organizations for instance that are helping people buy like gender affirming clothes or like a, there's an, a kaleidoscope youth center which is a um after school program for lgbt kids that maybe you're making a donation there or you're uh, promoting another cause that you know is going directly to benefiting the community so i think there's a yeah a few different ways and some of them like not even taking a whole lot of effort so yeah i hope that helps Oh, definitely. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Michael, can you talk a little bit more about pronouns and why it's important to use the desired pronouns of each individual? Sure. Yeah. I, I think that um, we do little things like this, like that are similar in other ways. Like if, for instance, somebody has the same name as their father or mother, then we, they might go by their middle name. or And we, we sort of just intuitively respect that without kind of questioning that. Um, and I think so it's sort of the same thing that um, pronouns have become, like in the past 20 years, I think a, a, a very important place of support and affirm and affirmation, partly because even I think it does in the littlest ways, like in sometimes in every other sentence that you're using, you can kind of do something small that says like, I see you, I know you. And there are all these little ways in which we accidentally kind of gender things or we say like, sir, ma'am, that we do without even thinking about it, right? And so pronouns is one of the more kind of direct, just like, 
we know it's going to happen probably at some point in conversation. And so I think we've gotten out ahead of that. And so, yeah, I think it's about making it more common practice just for people to ask people's pronouns, not just pronouns of people that they think might use pronouns that are not traditional. Like if somebody looks like they might be trans or queer Mm -hmm. asking them, that could be problematic, but just getting used to it. Cause I think a lot of people really want to use pronouns correctly, but they don't have a lot of practice. And so I would say, yeah, I think making that more commonplace and then also like whenever possible in your own life, practicing with somebody that like, even like, let's say that's in the news, there's, you know, often a transgender story that's going on. So for instance, most recently talking maybe about Elliot Page and how he transitioned and using pronouns that are affirming to him, like just bringing it up and then maybe in your head practicing it too. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And you mentioned, you know, people using it in their email signatures as a form of support and also maybe checking people's maybe online profiles to see how they identify. Yeah. Do you recommend, like, say if you're meeting someone for the first time, and like you said, it doesn't have to be someone who you may think is identifying a certain way, but just in general, do you recommend people just ask and make it part of a conversation so people get more comfortable? What do you recommend? Yeah. So I think there's like different, all this stuff is pretty nuanced, but I think there's like, there's the easiest way is honestly to offer your own pronouns. So I don't know. I I think zoom meetings have really made it a really taken a lot of the pressure off because I next to my name in parentheses, just put they, them as Mm -hmm. to let people know my pronouns. So you don't even have to like say anything, but whenever, I mean, it seems like in many meetings and it's commonplace to introduce yourself just to say, Hey, my name is Michael Eblin. I use they, them, their pronouns. I'm the LGBT person, you know, and just kind of Mm -hmm. making that normalize. Um, Mm -hmm. But then also, if you notice, like, for instance, that you're in conversation and you're referring to somebody for the first time, like, you use these pronouns, like, like making sure that you know which pronouns to use. Um, so, yeah, I think if you're, if, especially if you, it is a lot, I think, to get used to. But um, if you're asking everyone, I think that's a great, a great way to be, like, a really supportive ally. So, yeah, and, and I mean, I think the only way that can go wrong is if, like, there's a bunch of people in a room and you only ask one person what their pronouns right. are and if you're not sure. So that yeah. like that's the only nuance there. But otherwise, I think most people in the like queer community are actually going to be happy that somebody's bringing it up and, and willing to talk about it openly. So yeah, I think there's only really one way to get that wrong. So be open about it and be curious. Sure. Thank you. That's great advice. Yeah. Um, so what are some barriers to mental health treatment for people in the LGBTQ community? Yeah, so um, the majority of our um, clients these days, I don't think that they're really aware of, of like, there was a, a, quite a long history in psychiatry and mental health where um, all LGBT identities were pathologized. And I don't, it, it, maybe for some older demographics that they still can remember times when that was the case. But by and large, what I hear of from my clients is that they've had one experience or, well, maybe they had a few bad experiences before they decided to leave a a previous therapist. And oftentimes they will say that they find that therapists have even advertised themselves as being affirming and being kind of specialized or being especially open to working with LGBT folks. And really what they are is just accepting, like they believe that LGBT people should have rights, but they maybe haven't done some of the work 
to to make it like make themselves as knowledgeable as what would make those people comfortable. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually have noticed that LGBT people, in spite of some of the history, are more open to mental health. It's a community of people that I think out of necessity had had to just recognize that it's a part of everybody's holistic health and they're more willing, at least at first, to seek out treatment. And then we, I think, just have to meet them there and, and be ready for them. So at least if you if you know that somebody has had a history of therapy and they're coming to you, maybe that um, as a therapist, you can be a little bit more sensitive and maybe acknowledge, like, have your past therapist really been able to support you? What works for you? So being thoughtful about maybe some of that. I think that's what what most often keeps people um, or maybe makes them hesitate before seeking out treatment. Okay. That makes sense. Is there anything else you would like to add before we wrap up? I really would actually just like to say happy Pride Month and that I'm excited that there really is so, so much that has been changing. And and that's one of the best things of my job is seeing how much more the world is opening up and how many more parents are supporting their kids. So I wanted us to remember that too, that like, we've got a lot to be proud of and I'm just happy to be doing the work. So yeah, thank you for having me on. Of course, Michael. And thank you for your time and your work in this very important space. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. For more information, visit www.centero.org.